You're listening to a replay of the live broadcast from September 29th. And there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live, and here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to Cowboy State Politics Live. From high above all other puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. This is the most listened to political show in the state of Wyoming, or podcast at least. Well, welcome to the program, my friends. A few notes before we get going. You can listen to the podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Of course, this is the Thursday show. It begins every Thursday at 10 a.m. We begin this morning with something called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. It's a magic solution, says every legislator on the planet. Well, at least the ones on the left. Here's what it's supposed to do. From the Electronic Electronic Frontier Foundation on June 29th of this year, quote, the way the JCPA is supposed to work is by giving an antitrust exemption. Oh, that can't be good. To news sites, allowing them to negotiate as a block with sites like Google and Facebook, with the goal of getting paid every time those sites link to news articles. There's a few major fundamental problems with that premise. For one, creating a new cartel to deal with existing monopolists is not competition. It's the opposite. For another, creating an implicit right to control linking to any content won't preserve journalism. It will let it rot away. Finally, the focus on getting paid for links makes even less sense when the problem, historically, has been the domination of the digital ad market by a few few huge players. The Competition and Transparency in Digital Advertising Act actually targets that specific problem, but much more effectively than the JCPA. So basically what is happening here is our Congress has decided to create and allow big tech and media companies to make yet another monopoly. And then that monopoly can negotiate with other monopolies, and then that's going to solve the problem. Competition doesn't flourish when a group, even one of smaller newsrooms, are allowed to form a cartel. One of the biggest problems that we're having right now in media is that larger corporations don't want to hear conservative voices, 
like this program. And the secondary thing is that journalism pretty much doesn't exist in our country anymore. Just think about the journalism, so-called journalism, in the state of Wyoming. You have the Pravda on the Platte, the Red Star, and we have the Cow Pie, the Cowboy, Cowboy State Daily. Both of them have taken a hard turn to the left. Now ask yourself, when is the last time you saw a news story that was critical of leftists in the state of Wyoming? Hardly ever, right? The two legislators that they interview the most is Dan Zwanitzer and Nancy Case. Both of those guys are firmly on the left. There's been a lot of news coverage lately about what the Corporations Elections and Political Subdivisions Committee has been doing. And basically, they're trying to draft any sort of left-wing bill that it's going to further entrench them in power. For example, ranked choice voting. Open primaries. They're trying to strip Chuck Gray of any of his oversight over, well, when he becomes the Secretary of State, any of his oversight over elections in the state of Wyoming. And yet the Wyoming press continues to cover them like it's a good thing. There was an article not that long ago in the Cow Pie. No, it wasn't in the Cow Pie. It was in the Wyoming Tribune Eagle. And it basically, they were talking to Representative Dan Zwanitzer, you know, where we got the term Zwanamandering from. Uh, If you've forgotten, he basically gerrymandered his new house into his old district so that he could still represent it. I know, not corrupt at all. But anyway, when they were talking to him, he said that in the primary election, the Freedom Caucus may have gained, well, maybe maybe one or two seats, but they're still waiting to see how that's going to shake out. The truth of the matter is... A number of incumbents lost their seat. The Freedom Caucus ran over 35 different candidates, and Dan Zwanitzer only tells the liberal media that there were two. Question, why didn't the Wyoming Tribune Eagle correct Mr. Dan Zwanitzer? Well, it's because they're leftists and they don't want to. What I'm saying here is that the media is already a cabal of leftist organizations, and all of them, basically all of them, uh, the, the Tribune Eagle, the Cow Pie, the, uh, the Casper Star Tribune, Wildfile, all of them report in the same manner. All of them uh, trade articles back and forth. One of those outlets will print an article, and then you'll see the same article printed in all, all of those other outlets. And then it'll be distributed to your local newspaper. Ah, that's not a that's not collusion at all. Well, what this bill will do, the Journalism and Competition Preservation Act, will enshrine that in law. So let me give you a great example. So in my little town of Buffalo, Wyoming, my grandpa used to own two gas stations in town. And all of the gas stations in Buffalo got together and they decided what the price of fuel was going to be. So when you could drive to Sheridan and get fuel at, you know, 10 or 15 cents cheaper, it was always higher in Buffalo. And none of those gas stations who were in this little this little group would lower their prices below a certain amount. You see what I'm getting at here is that anytime you have a group that is working together, you're, you're going to stifle competition. From that same article, quote, it's equally untenable to restrict 
restrict those who can link to publicly available pages on the web. That implies a sort of property right to links, links and ownership of how information is shared. The JCPA is also reported to prevent companies from simply refusing to link to certain outlets to avoid paying, which encroaches on those companies' free speech rights to refuse certain content. So while we might not, might not like what liberal media outlets are uh, you know, are printing out, they still have a right to print whatever they want to print, however biased it may be. And putting something in law that forces them to link to different, you know, to different content violates their free speech rights as well. The article continues. And without a likely unconstitutional must-carry provision, news aggregators and search engines will simply refuse to link to news sites that demand payment, meaning that some of the most reliable news sources and and information will become far less accessible to the public. Now, that doesn't just affect Google and Facebook. That affects everyone who shares articles online, even if it affects journalists in smaller newsrooms who base their reporting on the earlier reporting of others, the papers that I mentioned in Wyoming, and link back to those stories. That's a good journalistic practice, you know, citing your source. Uh, it lets readers see where information is coming from and to trace a story back to its inception. It's the Internet equivalent of a footnote. And if it suddenly becomes fraught to link, readers lose valuable information and content. See, a lot of these news outfits, the Red Star and the Cowpie, they don't tell you where they're getting their information. So really, as a consumer of news, you don't know if it's opinion or if it's fact. That's one of the reasons on Cowboy State Politics that I try to post most of the articles that I reference on the website so that you can read the information for yourself. So you're not just relying upon what I tell you. You can find out for yourself whether it's true or not. Now, one interesting thing started in 2015. A lot of online media companies, quote, started pivoting to video, gutting their traditional newsrooms and spending large amounts of money to build video journalism operations from scratch. Part of the impetus, impetus for this pivot was metrics showing that audiences preferred video to text metrics provided in large part by Facebook. I wonder why they did that. In 2014, Facebook claimed that Facebook averaged more than 1 billion views per day, uh, every day. So those metrics turned out to be grossly inflated by as much as 60 to 80%. So here you have a private company that's making money off of advertising, and they're telling advertisers, hey man, our metrics show that, that almost all of these 1 billion people like video more than they do text. So Facebook makes more money. Kind of a pretty good pretty good uh, revenue idea if you ask me but it's completely disingenuous and it hurts advertisers so in other words situations like this jcpa hurt everyone except larger media outlets and when you add on top of that that a lot of these smaller newspapers like the casper star tribune are owned by larger media conglomerates well then you know it's just the opinion of the larger corporation, and you've pretty much uh, short-circuited any plan to, uh, to try to fix it. From Breitbart News, quote, or in an article entitled, Senator Tom Cotton, the JCPA will allow big tech and liberal media to, to collude. Now, in the article, they've got a video, and I'm going to play it for you. Here it is. 
be curious to be, cu- be curious to hear what uh, you find out. Um, let's turn to some of the other issues of the day. First, JCPA. Um, pretty uh, interesting thing. You've been uh, kind enough to come on the show and give us your thoughts on. I think you and I are pretty much identically aligned on this. I was sort of stunned to see the bill advance last week after Markup and Senator Cruz kind of flipping on it and is now all of a sudden uh, a big supporter of it. And there's this narrative out there that the bill is uh, something that big tech hates. This is the talking point that big tech hates this bill. I, I don't understand how this narrative is taken off, considering that big tech will essentially be allowed to buy off the media companies are supposed to cover big tech. It just seems like a gift to big tech. Uh, and yet this narrative has come through. Uh, it, can you evaluate it and give me your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, well, I think the bill is passing the law, which I hope it won't be, will allow big tech and liberal media to collude together to further um, suppress conservative views uh, and harm conservative outlets like Breitbart. Um, I, I recognize and I hear from small Arkansas newspapers that uh, they feel like they're getting a raw deal from big tech. And I would like to find a way to help um, address that challenge. But this bill, by creating an explicit exemption to our antitrust laws for legacy media companies who can then discriminate about who joins their cartel just creates more opportunities for mischief, in my opinion. So what the bill does is basically allow uh, newspapers, magazines, websites, media outlets to band together in what would otherwise be unlawful collusion or the antitrust laws to negotiate terms under which big tech companies can use their content. Um, However, The bill also allows those media companies to decide who they want to let play in their sandbox. And I believe they've already told Breitbart, for instance, they don't want any part of Breitbart's uh, content in their cartel. So while they're benefiting from the outlets like yours and probably, uh, as if we went along, other conservative outlets would also be excluded, putting them at a major competitive disadvantage. Um, I also believe that those companies and the big tech companies would likely work together to suppress conservative views, even of those who are in the cartel. I don't think the language adopted last week is strong enough to prevent that. So again, I, I want to protect you know small daily newspapers or weekly newspapers like the Guardian sure. Post Dispatch or the Baxter Bulletin or the Jonesboro Sun, but I don't want to empower, say, the Minneapolis Star Tribune and Google to try to undermine conservatives in Minnesota. So the bottom line behind this JCPA is that it's going to hurt individual or like independent journalism. Now, journalism, by definition, is investigating what it is that government or other or corporations, for that matter. John Stossel used to do a lot of investigative reporting, but that's the whole point. It's informing people. And right now you have a media that doesn't do any of that. The only investigative journalism you're seeing is from groups like Project Veritas or from independent journalists like myself. One of the biggest stories of last year was right before the special session when I uncovered that every single person that voted against having a special session had taken campaign donations from Pfizer and the Wyoming Medical Pack and some other special interests, every single one of them. Now, if you had a responsible press, that would have been front page news. But to hear what as we I, to hear what hold I, on a minute, there we go. Um, but if you would have had responsible journalists, you would have seen that on the front page of the Casper Star Tribune. 
But we all know that that didn't happen. Why? Well, because they're all on the leftist agenda. We don't have investigative journalism anymore. Um, as that article pointed out, because a lot of media outlets are owned by larger corporations. For example, the Pravda on the Platte is owned by Lee Enterprises, a Virginia-based company. It's actually printed in Nebraska. So it has very few ties to Wyoming, probably the only people that work there. So if we want independent journalism, if you want to be informed, we have to contact our senators and representatives and tell them to vote against this JCPA. And now, a little completely egregious self-promotion. Right on, right on. You can find everything Cowboy State Politics at the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden, and you have no idea what kind of pudding you had for breakfast, well, I'm not sure I can help you with that one, but I can pretty much guarantee you, you can find all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't be president. So, go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, just like you should have been doing before you signed that paper to run for election. Don't forget about the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. Like it, share it, follow it, tell everybody you know about it. Of course, I'll post all of the episodes there, but also anything I find during the course of the week that I think you might be interested in. And if you'd like to interact with me on any other social media app, I'm on Twitter. The handle is at David Dom Iverson. You can also find me on Truth Social or Getter or Gab or MeWe, and I'll probably sign up for whatever else comes next. If you've been thinking about advertising on the program, whether it be the live broadcast or on the main podcast, and you want to put your money where my mouth is, all you need to do is shoot me a message. The address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I'd love to get that conversation started with you. And now, let's get back to the program. One of the more interesting stories that cropped up last week was that the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines suffered gigantic explosions. Hmm, now that's interesting. I wonder who did that? Well, a lot of media outlets, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all of them are arguing, well, that it was Russia. Russia blew up their own pipeline. Well, Tucker Carlson talked about that on his program earlier this week. Here's what he had to say. Be curious to hear what uh, you find out. Um, Wrong one. There we go. Hold on just a second. There we go. On a Tuesday evening on a grim note, but one of the environmental catastrophes, one of the great environmental catastrophes of our time, is unfolding tonight off the coast of Denmark. The Nord Stream pipelines, which are enormous Russian-owned conduits that carry natural gas from Russia to Western Europe, have been breached. As we speak, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 are pouring millions of cubic meters of natural gas into the Baltic Sea. Pictures from the air, which you can now see on your screen, show a toxic bubble field more than half a mile wide. You can only guess at how many marine mammals are being killed right now, countless. 
but the lasting damage may be to the atmosphere. Natural gas is comprised of up to 90% methane. Methane, as Joe Biden has often told you, is the key driver of global warming, which is, of course, an existential threat to humanity and the planet. So if you're worried about climate change, what just happened to the Nord Stream pipelines is as close to the apocalypse as we have ever come. So the question is, how did this happen? And it turns out it was not an accident. At the very same time that leaks in these pipelines were detected, Swedish officials recorded two powerful undersea explosions, each one of which was equivalent to hundreds of pounds of TNT. Nothing in nature can account for that. Almost immediately, the pipelines began leaking in three separate places. So there's only one explanation for what happened. This was an act of industrial terrorism. That was very obvious to the Prime Minister of Poland, and he wasted no time in saying so. Watch. Today, we are also dealing with an act of sabotage. We do not know the details of what happened yet, but we can clearly see that it is an act of sabotage, an act that probably marks the next stage in the escalation of the situation we are dealing with in Ukraine. We can clearly see, he said, this was an act of sabotage, an act of terrorism. Well, yes, we can see that. So the question is who did it, and of course the prime suspect is obvious, it would be the same man who caused domestic inflation here in the U.S. and stole the 2016 election from Hillary Clinton, that'd be Vladimir V. Putin. The Washington Post got right to it. Putin, they declared, is now weaponizing the Nord Stream pipelines. According to the Canadian ambassador to the U.N., Vladimir Putin has decided to use, quote, pollution as an act of war. Progressive Twitter strongly endorsed this conclusion. Putin did it. And that makes sense until you thought about it for just a moment. Vladimir Putin may be evil, they tell us that he is evil, but is he stupid? Probably isn't stupid. And yet, and here's the strange part, if you are Vladimir Putin, you would have to be a suicidal moron to blow up your own energy pipelines. That's the one thing you would never do. So why do I bring this up? Well, right now, the United States is suffering from the highest inflation we've seen in over 50 years. Now, We exist in a global economy, like every economy on the planet is linked together. I mean, you you might, you know, in the 1950s, we were all worried about mutually assured destruction. Well, right now, we ought to be worried about mutually assured economic destruction. Now, Tucker is exactly right. It doesn't make any sense for Vladimir Putin to blow up his own pipeline. That's his cash cow right now. Most of his revenue comes from natural gas and oil exports. So why would he cut off the number one revenue generator for his entire country. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I know that there's a tendency to think of Vladimir Putin as, you know, Dr. Evil. Well, hold on a minute. It's come to my attention that a breakaway Russian Republic for Pakistan is about to transfer a nuclear warhead to the United Nations in a few days. Here's the plan. We get the warhead and we hold the world ransom for one million dollars. Well, don't you think we should maybe ask for more than a million dollars? A million dollars isn't exactly a lot of money these days. Virtucon alone makes over nine billion dollars a year. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. It's a lot more. Okay, then. We hold the world ransom for... One hundred billion dollars. Vladimir Putin is most definitely not Dr. Evil. He's not an idiot, and he's not stupid. He's a lifelong KGB agent. 
He's a guy that's been trained to think strategically. So when he's trying to push a, a war in Ukraine or trying to uh, execute a war in Ukraine, it doesn't make any sense to cut off his his one thing that is generating revenue for his entire war effort. Now, we might question how wise it was to try to invade Ukraine. Um, I'd say it was kind of dumb. But I don't think that that discounts everything that Putin is doing. Rather, I think that we've got some some other forces at work here. Now, coming on Weekend Update, I'm going to play some audio for you from Joe Biden, where he basically says that the United States can take care of the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines. Kind of makes you think, right? But it doesn't make any sense for the United States to do that either. Like I said, we're suffering from the highest inflation we've seen in over 50 years. And cutting off Europe from their energy supply is only going to to further um, inflationary pressures. Governments in Europe are going to continue to print money, just like we're doing in the United States. So none of that makes any sense. So rather, it's some other actor, some other cause. Last earlier this week, I played for you a montage from um, from Kamala Harris. Lots of her greatest hits, as we all know, she's a fan of her word salad. She doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's approaching a point where it's actually becoming dangerous to the United States. So first, I'm going to play for you that montage one more time. I think it's pretty funny. And then I'm going to show you how the rhetoric that is coming out of the administration, while we think that we think and it certainly is stupid, it's actually becoming dangerous. World leaders are not idiots. Take, for example, Xi Jinping. He's not a dumb guy. So he observes everything that's coming out of this administration, and he looks for weaknesses. And as we all know, this administration has a number of different weaknesses, both in their both in their military stance, their economic policy, their push towards green energy, though I believe that that's a, that that's a global initiative. So there's a lot of weak points. So I want you to listen to this montage, and then I'm going to play for you the really dangerous thing that she said, I believe it was yesterday. So first of all, here's the montage I played for you earlier this week. So we invested an additional $12 billion into community banks because we know community banks are in the community and understand the needs and desires of that community as well as the talent and capacity of community. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. The strength of our nation has always been that despite the odds and the obstacles, we push to move forward. That we are okay, okay, okay. I can't take it anymore. Even though it's a great montage and I think it's hilarious, I can't take any more of that. She's just a moron. And while what she says does have an impact for our country. It's, it's, first of all, it's horribly embarrassing. Secondly, leaders across the world listen to what is said. There's a great book by Jerry Spence, and whatever you may think of him, his book, How to Argue and Win Every Time, is a must-read for just about every single person. And in it, he said that the old adage of sticks and stones may break my bones, you know that one, uh, it's nonsense. That words, words have power. Words maim and words kill. Words wage war. 
And it's absolutely the truth. You can look to any conflict in in world history, and you'll see that most of them started with a conversation. So when when Kamala Harris starts talking like this, here's a quote when she was she was in Tokyo. Um, this wasn't the one I the main one I'm going to play for you, but I want you to hear this one first. But it is significant that we are here together in Tokyo, um, in that we also share a common goal and bond as it relates to our dedication to peace and security in the Indo Pacific and the work that we will continue to do to ensure that we are guided by what we are joined in in terms of uh, international rules and norms around the importance of peace, security, and prosperity for the end of the Pacific. So I look forward to our conversation, and it's good to see you. Sounds to me like we've got a foreign policy genius on our hands. But that's when she was talking to one of our allies. And don't think that our enemies are not paying attention to everything she has to say. So if she's the, the, the head envoy to all of our foreign allies, you know that countries such as China and Russia, North Korea, for example, are paying attention to everything that she says. Words are important. Words have power. Oh, here's one more. Listen to what she ha- had to say about Ukraine. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically, that's wrong. Basically, Sesame Street could have done a better job, and it probably would have made more sense. But my whole point here is this is the person that we're sending overseas. Now, here's the real dangerous part. Now, listen very closely to what she says. So the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. And it is an alliance that is strong and enduring. Oh, so we have a strong and enduring alliance with the People's Republic of North Korea. Wow. Now, don't think that Kim Jong-un is not going to use that. As Americans, we tend to underestimate, and we shouldn't because it's, been u- it's being used against us continually, but we tend to us- underestimate the power of propaganda. Every country uses it, some of them more than others. But leaders like Kim Jong-un are going to use what Kamala Harris said the other day as a weapon. They're going to convince their allies, who are not nearly as informed as some Americans are, that, look, the United States says that we're allies. If our ally is the United States, then we can do anything that we want. It is profoundly dangerous to send people like Kamala Harris overseas. Well, frankly, it's it's dangerous for any of them to get anywhere near a microphone, but they do anyway. So what does that say for us Americans? Well, first of all, we're in a heck of a lot of trouble, my friends. More trouble than we can possibly imagine. So what we need to do is to make sure that our states are as strong as possible. Now, if you listen to this program, you know that we've got a lot of problems ourselves. Hopefully, after the primary election and after the general election, some of those will be fixed. Hopefully, the conservatives will be in charge of the legislature. But we can't take any of that for granted. So when when you have people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris running our country and you have uh, redcoats like Mark Gordon running our state, it's it's 
ever it's it's increasingly more important for you to make sure that your own individual communities are strong your individual neighborhoods make sure that we can take care of each other because obviously those folks in washington dc they're not taking care of any of us now i'd like to introduce you to the newest sponsor to the program you know those little baseball caps that have the hole in them for a ponytail well those are made by new trend hats and I'm proud to welcome them to the program. New Trend Hats emerged due to a persistent mother who insisted that her daughter, who was in the sun every day and never wore a hat, protect and take care of her face. This daughter, who always wore her hair in a high ponytail, decided to one day take her advice, and she cut a hole in the top of her hat to accommodate the ponytail. And now, 15 years later, and with only the, the nagging to remember, uh, Laura, the company's owner, um, hopes that her ponytail hats will provide other women and girls the kinds of com comfortable protection that she has herself enjoyed. Now, Laura Pearson is a fifth-generation sheep rancher from Wyoming. She, she aspires to share her ponytail hats with the world. Now, it's not just women's hats that she sells. Laura is a purveyor of all sorts of headwear, including men's hats and hats for all seasons. So go check them out at NewTrendHats.com, and you can also find the link at the website after the program when I get it put on there. And now, another word from our sponsors. We'll get back to the program in just a second, but somebody's got to pay for this thing. This segment of the program is brought to you by Morton Buildings, Lessons in Classic Values. Lesson number 27, More Chivalry. Gentlemen, you're probably operating under the mistaken impression that chivalry ends with the opening of a door or walking closest to the street when escorting the missus down the sidewalk. That, gentlemen, is only the beginning. Allow me to illustrate with a question. Are you confused as to why you're sleeping on the couch right now? Elementary. You see, the garage is packed with all of your playthings because you didn't want them outside in the elements. A seemingly correct move from the outside. But you've done so at the expense of making the missus walk through the mud and snow to get in the house because she can't park her car in the garage that you built for her. Gentlemen, you can easily correct this by calling my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings, 307-674-2532. These guys are the experts in metal building construction. Whether you need a garage or a barn or a roping arena or a giant warehouse, Nick and Jesse are the experts. You just tell them what you need and they'll handle all of the details. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, once you do that, you'll be off that couch in no time. This has been Morton Buildings Lessons in Classic Values. That's Morton Buildings, 307-674-2532. Call them now. It's mid-morning, my friends. And do you know what I'm craving? Hot wings. Hot wings from the Wing It food truck. They make the most amazing hot wings in the state of Wyoming. And not just hot wings. They have several other different flavors. I personally recommend the garlic parmesan wings. They're incredible. Now, to figure out where that truck is going to be, you just go to CowboyStatePolitics.com and go to the Sponsors tab, and you'll find their schedule there.
You can also check them out on their Facebook page. You can find their schedule there as well as the menu of those yummy, yummy hot wings. That way, you can plan your entire week over where that truck is going to be. That's the Wing It Food Truck. And now, back to the full frontal assault on every redcoat that dared to cross my path. In another concerning story from CNBC, Powell says, that's Jerome Powell, that the Fed plans recommendations to Congress on a digital currency. Quote, when asked, when asked about the Fed's next steps regarding the rollout of CBDC, that's a digital dollar, uh, Powell told U.S. lawmakers in a Thursday monetary policy hearing that it's something we really need to explore as a country, and it shouldn't be a partisan thing. This is terrifying. Right now, we're seeing inflationary pressures that are due to the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. If we have a digital dollar, and everybody's worried about how, how credit card companies are going to track their gun purchases, that's just the tip of the iceberg here. If we have a digital, a digital dollar, it means the end to your privacy. You're not going to be able to buy anything without the government knowing about it. The article continues, if we're going to have a digital dollar, Powell said, it should be government guaranteed money and not private money. Holy cow, this is terrifying. If you thought that the federal government was busy printing money now, just wait until they have a digital dollar when there is absolutely no constraints on them printing, printing more money, which they will undoubtedly do. In 1933, FDR passed the Gold Confiscation Act. And basically, um, you, had to, you had to remit to the government any amount of gold that you had. Now, of course, most people didn't because most people are smarter than FDR. But when the gold confiscation was passed, it eliminated the possibility that individual citizens had a currency that was, that was entirely private. Now, that was his intent. And of course, as we all know, it didn't work that well. Right now, I've got 30 bucks of silver in my pocket. So why is gold and silver so important? Why is it that, that governments want to move away from it? Well, because it's tangible. In the history of the world, and actually uh, the Lydians were the first group to, to create money, and they used gold coins. So in the history of the world, gold and silver have been the only things that have like absolute intrinsic value. And there, there's really no other explanation beyond that people like shiny things. What it allows individual citizens to do is to trade amongst themselves without involving the government. Well, gold and silver are still going to exist, but if we create a digital dollar, it means that more often than not, your trade trade amongst your your uh, neighbors is going to be reduced to ones and zeros and decimal points points. It's not going to be, hey Dave, give me five bucks and uh, you know I'll give you a ride to the store. That's going to come to an end. 
from Breitbart in an article entitled, Treasury Recommends Exploring the Creation of a Digital Dollar. And I quote, Central bank digital currencies differ from existing digital money available to the to the general public, such as the balance in a bank account, because they would have direct liability to the Federal Reserve and not a commercial bank. So there's a big difference here that you have money in, the, in your bank account and that's yours. And while your individual commercial bank tra- can can basically say where you who you wrote a check to or where you used your debit card, it's controlled locally. Unless, of course, you bank at something like uh, Bank of America or City or one of those. But your community bank, your, indiv- your like, uh, independent corporate bank, doesn't really have that many ties to the federal government as far as your money is concerned. But if the digital dollar exists and if it is controlled by the United States federal government, it'll be super easy to track anything that you buy. Now, I mentioned the Gold Confiscation Act of 1933. Let's go move forward a little bit and look at 1971, where Nixon um, took took the United States off of the gold standard. Now, why did he do that? Well, it was so, uh, well, one of the reasons is so that he could permit, like, print tremendous amounts of money. But he suspended the convertibility of U.S. dollars into gold. You used to be able to take your money to the bank and trade it for whatever amount of gold it was. We, after 1971, and you couldn't do that. The second thing that it did is it further entrenched, and I mentioned earlier, the global economy. And it further entrenched that global economy so that everybody basically looked at the United States as the world's banker. And even today, most of the world's gold is contained in Fort Knox. Now, of course, our, our currency isn't based on gold anymore. It's based on the full faith and credit of the United States. And if you didn't know it, the United States debt to income ratio now is over 100%. Now, let me just ask you a question. When your debt to income ratio exceeds 100%, what are you? You're broke. There isn't a soul on this planet that's going to give you a car loan if your debt to income ratio is uh, balances out. There's no way that that's going to happen. So right now, that's the situation for the United States government. And the increasing inflationary pressures that everybody is experiencing is a direct result of that. Because to pay the the debts of the United States, they have to just print money. So this creation of of a digital dollar is profoundly dangerous. Yet another thing that we should call John Barrasso and Cynthia Lummis and soon Harriet Hageman about. As it relates to our soon-to-be congressional representative Harriet Hageman, I have a giant story that I'm probably going to uncork the first part of next week concerning that little letter that she was sent. You know, it was signed by all of those attorneys in the state. Well, I did a little digging, and I found out a little bit more about that letter than's been being reported in the news. Next in my stack of stuff, more about library books from the Red Star. In an article entitled, The LGBTQ Community Allies Speak in Support of a Decision to Keep Library Books. And I quote, The two books under question are Gender Queer, a graphic novel memoir about Maya Kobabi that explores the author's gender identity and sexuality. And another 
popular book, Trans Bodies, Trans Selves, a textbook-like resource guide for the transgender individuals by Laura Erickson Scroth. The books are in the Kelly Walsh High School Library. Now, I just have one question that I'd really love somebody to answer me. Why are they so intent on teaching young children about sexuality? Why? Well, it's got to be because it's all about indoctrination. Now, all of these books that they're discussing, the first one they mentioned was Gender Queer. It's basically a comic book. And while the, the Red Star makes it sound like it's completely benign, it's just a memoir. Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Really what it is, if you get past the beginning of the book, it it's about transsexuality and her transitioning from a male to a female. Why does that need to be in a uh, in a high school library? Well, it doesn't. The article continues, and this is where it becomes really disturbing. Quote, the two, well, let me back up a sentence. Psychologists and counselors echoed the message that representation of the LGBTQ community matters. Quote, the two most powerful words in the dictionary are me too. A private practicing counselor said, Archie Petrie, another counselor, told trustees that he's lost the count of the number of children who felt ostracized, victimized, and negated because they didn't know about what it was to be trans or any of these questions. Now, my first objection to this is the two most powerful words in the English language are not me too. The most powerful words in the English language are I am that I am. It comes from the Bible. Those are the words of God. Now, one of the motivations behind getting all of these pornography and pedophilia books in the library, remember, remember all the episodes I did about the book uh, Lawn Boy? Well, all of those really are graphic sexual content. So a question that I've never got an answer to is why can't we have an issue of Hustler in public libraries? Well, because it's not, it's not of any educational value whatsoever. It is strictly pornography. And when you look at that book, Lawn Boy, I was advised by my legal counsel that I can't read any section of it on, on the program because I would be guilty of dissemination of child pornography on a public broadcast. And yet this is one of the books that is being advocated to stay in, in public libraries. My second problem with this is your tax dollars are paying for all of this. And yet we have these boards that are absolutely not listening to the concerns of the community. When all of these books are challenged, the boards of these libraries don't listen to their constituents. They don't listen at all, in fact. They just issue a summary judgment and say, nope, the books are staying. Now, the other problem with this, with this article is it continually refer, uses the word ban. Nobody is talking about banning books. This is not the era where we're trying to remove Romeo and Juliet from the library or The Color Purple or any of those books. What parents are arguing for is that these books re be removed from the children's section. Any thinking adult would not read any passage out of Lawn Boy to their children. And if I get, if I get the chance, I'm going to ask some of our legislators, hey, would you read this to your kid? The, the question, the answer to that would absolutely be no. And yet, across the state of Wyoming, library boards are refusing to listen to parents. They're refusing to take these books out of the children's section. And yet, the Red Star and the Cow Pie continually publish articles saying that people just want to ban books. 
One more quotation from this article. I really, quote, I really doubt that either of these books are going to negatively harm any children, but they could positively help hundreds. Okay, let's be honest about numbers here for just a second. The LGBT community is one of the lowest populations of Americans. It's not giant like newspapers are reporting that it is. It is a really low percentage of the population. Now, I'm not saying that that means that, that folks that are in the LGBT community are any less important. They're, they're certainly just as important as everybody else. But when the media reports that, that they're a giant segment of the population, it leads the reader to believe that, well, yeah, we absolutely have to have these books in the library. Schools have one function, my friends, and that is to educate students, period, end of sentence. Their goal is not to indoctrinate anyone. And anybody that says that your kids are confused, your kids are not confused. They're impressionable. And what we're doing to children is child abuse, period. And now for a word from our sponsor. This segment of the program is brought to you by 307 Cowboy Country. It's fall. And you know what happens in fall in Wyoming? Snow. So, if you don't have anywhere to put all of your backyard tools, your lawnmower, your rototiller, all your rakes and shovels, and you've been thinking about getting a backyard shed, then you should call my friends Bryce and Melody Reese at 307 Cowboy Country. Their phone number is 307-441-1815. They are Central and Southeastern Wyoming's full line of Montana shed dealers. It doesn't really matter what type of backyard shed you want, or maybe maybe you want a greenhouse to grow some plants over the winter, or you need a garage so the missus can park her car inside and she doesn't have to tromp through all the rain and snow that's about to happen. So whatever it is, call Bryce and Melody Reese. Again, their phone number is 307-441-1815. Montana Shed Center, Buildings for Life. And now, let's get back to the most scintillating conversation that you're going to hear this morning. In an update to an episode I did earlier entitled Fremont's Ivory Tower, Mr. Travis Becker, Fremont County Commission Chairman, has issued kind of a response to all of the stories about him calling us a bunch of ding-dongs and telling us that we needed to shut up. Well, it would appear that Representative Pepper Ottman got a hold of him. In a county commission meeting, according to the Cowpie, in an article entitled, Fremont County Commission Chairman Calls Election Skeptics Ding-dongs, Representative Pepper Ottman of Riverton spoke out against the nature of Becker's comment at the meeting. Pepper said, and I quote, I always appreciate your candor, but I don't, I don't appreciate the name calling. We need to be respectful of one another. And as you expect that, the citizens of Fremont County expect that as well. Now, Becker responded and defending his comment saying, quote, so be it. Now, Becker apologized, according to Leo Wolfson, Becker apologized for his comments afterwards. You know, I regret saying it, he told the Cowboy State Daily on Monday evening. We all have the right to free speech under the First Amendment, but that does not give us the right to be name-calling. Whether you're a commissioner or the president of the United States, it's not acceptable. 
Becker said the point he was trying to make got, got lost in the noise of making a rash statement. No, the truth is that Travis Becker, Fremont County Commissioner, decided to call his constituents ding-dongs. Now, I'm sure he wanted to use a much more vile term, but that was the most benign one that he could think of. And then he said that we all need to shut up. Well, Mr. Travis Becker, you'll find this interesting, was also recently elected as a Republican Fremont County Republican Party precinct man. Interesting that he wanted to be elected as a, as a representative of the party, and yet he's also running as an independent in the general election. Now, wait a minute. Why would he run for a precinct position, get elected, and then decide that he wanted to be an independent? Well, if you're an independent, by definition, that means that you are not a Republican. Travis Becker is not, nor has he ever been a Republican. I'll have more on this story in the coming days and weeks. And Travis Becker, if you're listening, man, give me a call. I'm sure you can find my phone number. Why don't you come on the program for a little conversation? I promise I'll be just as I might be just as insulting to you as you were to us. From Breitbart, in an article entitled U.S. Home Prices Fall for the First Time Since 2012, the Largest Ever Deceleration. This was this one's important, my friends. Quote, Home prices fell in July compared to the previous month, according to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index. This is the first national decline since 2012. Before seasonal adjustment, the U.S. National Index fell 0.3%, blah, 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 blah. All you need to know is home prices are falling. Why is that? Because of increased interest rates. Now, a mortgage lender that I spoke to earlier this week put it like this. In real terms, before interest rates were raised, and this she's talking about approximately six months ago, if you were to buy a home for $300,000, your payment would probably be around $1,200 a month. After the increase in interest rates, your payment on that same house, that same $300,000, is now $1,800 a month. And in the final analysis, what you end up paying for that house and I'm not a banker, nor am I a mathematician. But with interest rates, I can guess you're pro probably going to pay over $350,000 for that house. So why, are, why is the fact that home prices are falling significant? Well, it's due to inflationary pressures and the increase in interest rates. As that mortgage, mortgage lender I spoke to told me that when interest rates go up, new homeowners can't buy any homes. They can't afford it. And so the housing market goes down. Typically in the United States, the housing market is one of the key indicators of how our economy is doing. Most people look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is important. And if you've noticed recently, uh, I think yesterday was the first gain it had made in over a week. The Dow is falling, home prices are falling, and so is our economy. Next up in my stack, a rather curious article by Catherine Watson that was published in by CBS News entitled Staffers in Representative Andy Levin's Office Became the First in Congress to Unionize. Quote, staffers in Democratic Representative Andy Levin's office have voted to form a union, becoming the first in Congress to do so, according to the Congressional Workers Union. A vote last week was the first union election in a congressional office in U.S. history. The Congressional Workers Union said Monday, 
Staffers for Democratic representatives uh, Ro Khanna and Ilhan Omar are also holding union elections this week. Well, isn't this just fantastic? Public employees who work for people that write the laws can now negotiate their salaries with the people that write the laws. Fantastic. The article continues. Earlier this, this year, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced a minimum salary for House staffers of $45,000 a year. There previously had been no minimum salary. Question, how many people within the sound of my voice make over $45,000 a year? I would say not the majority. And yet here we have people who work for the people who write laws being able to negotiate with the people who write laws to increase their salaries. And they're all Democrats. I wonder how this is going to work out for us. My guess, probably not so well. Well, that'll do it for today's installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. Remember, you can listen to the podcast. New episodes are posted every Monday, Wednesday. Thursday is the live program starting at 10 a.m. And you can listen to Weekend Update on Saturday morning. A couple of notes that I needed to mention. There's some upcoming rallies for conservative candidates. That are One that is going to be on October the 8th is going to be held in Douglas. And then there's another one on the 14th of October that's going to be held in Torrington, Wyoming. Both of those events are going to feature Harriet Hageman. If you've never listened to Harriet speak, you really should try to get yourself to these to these events. She's an amazing speaker, and I'm, I'm proud to consider her one of my friends. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is Cowboy State Politics.